Yeah, yeah. So the yeah, today's daf is daf Pei Zion. We're gonna back up to the bottom line of Pei Vav Amud Beis, and we're going to restart the Gemara on the very last line, eighty six B. Let us get going. All right. So we just went through the Mishnah, and the Mishnah was dealing with a case where a husband writes to a wife that Neder Ushvua Ainli Alayich. If a husband writes a document to his wife stating that he's not going to obligate her in a neder or a shvua, in an oath or a vow, so then he can't obligate her to ever swear. Okay? And we gave a whole bunch of cases. Now, the Mishnah, we really left off pretty vague. Why is she taking an oath? What, what, what's he stating with this? So that's going to be the, the crux of the Gemara until the Mishnah on the bottom of Pezayim. All right, so let's get going. Let's go bottom line, says the Gemara. The husband writes to his wife, you're not gonna, I'm not going to obligate you in an oath. Shvua maya vidite. Uh, where's the shvua coming in? Why would a husband be writing this to a wife? What's the purpose of the shvua that a husband's writing to his wife? Hey, by the way, I'm never going to obligate you in a nether shvua. So I'm going to review to my Review to says the name of Rav, top of today's daf. Al He's writing to her, if at any point in our marriage you become a trustee over my estate, I'm not going to obligate you to take an oath um, or a vow. Okay, now let's pause and say and, and understand what this is. This is actually a very simple process. The halacha is, and this is, makes a lot of sense, any time I own something, and I appoint you to be the trustee, or I appoint you to be my employee, as part of that responsibility, I can obligate you to take an oath, making sure that you're not skimming any money off the top. All right? You could do this to any apitropist. You could do this to any trustee. Anybody who's working for you. You can have them at various intervals, at various times, say, you know what? I don't like what's happening here. I don't like what I see. Something's off. I'm obligating you to take an oath. That, that uh, nothing silly uh, is happening. So this is what he's writing to his wife. They're getting married or they already are married. And he writes, if at any point I ask you to oversee the estate, which is a very common thing, or at any point, even now, I'm letting you know, and she might even ask for this, as we're going to see soon in the Gemara, I'm not going to obligate you. We're, we're in a marriage. I'm not going to treat you like a regular trustee. That's what it means that he's writing to her, Dinu Dvarim Ainli, I'm sorry, Neder Ushvua Ainli Alayich. That's what it means. That's what the Shvua is doing here. Fine. Avrachman Amar Rabba Barabua. Avrachman says, Name Rabba Barabua, Al Pegamas Tuvasa. He's saying, I'm never going to make you. Make you uh, take an oath in the situation of a pagemes ksuvasa. What's the case of a pagemes ksuvasa? So, a case of pagemes ksuvasa is when a woman collects partial payment on her ksuba, and now she wants to come and collect the remaining amount. We view her like she's a she's a moda bemikzas type of thing, right? Like she's admitted to half of it. She said, "I already got paid up with my other half of the ksuba." Now she wants to to collect the other half. In general, she has taken oath. So he's writing to her that You know, I, I'm not going to obligate you even by a, if I already made a partial payment on the ksuba, I'm not going to obligate you to take an oath on the other half. Okay, so that's the machlekas about what the shvua is doing here. Either he's writing it to her because <clears throat> of a situation she may become a trustee or because of a partial payment on the ksuba. Now here we go. Also, Rav Mordechai, Mordechai went on the Shmatzik Beit Rabashi. He said this over in front of Rabashi. He said, "Bishmal, the Amar Al Pegam Mesubasa." It makes sense according to the opinion who says that he's removing her from a oath or swear on a case of a partial payment of Aksuba, the Maska Adaita. You know why he's doing that? Because it's common that it might go up on her mind. Doma Mitzarchele Zuzay. Maybe one day I'll need money. Vishakonu Biksuvase, and I'll ask for a cash adv- advance on my Aksuba. You hear this? A woman. <coughs> Excuse me, a, a husband may write to a wife, you know, Mike Suva's $30,000. And she says, you know, if you don't mind, there may be times I want to do my own business dealings while we're married, totally separate from you. I want to borrow money. I want to start a business. I'm, I'm going to ask for a cash advance on Mike Suba 
if you would give me $10,000 towards the ksuba. All right? Now, that's something a woman might keep in mind at the time of marriage. I have a ksuba, you know, I have access to money that's coming in the future. Maybe I'll need money. And I'll take a cash advance as part of my ksuba. So she'll say to the husband, listen, you be a nice guy. I'm going to be asking for a cash advance quite possibly. Do me a, do me a flavor. Yeah? Write a document to me stating that if I ever take a cash advance and then I come to collect a ksuba, I'm not going to have to take an oath. All right, that's a very logical circumstance, says the Gemara. But according to the first opinion that we're dealing with a situation where a husband, uh, you know, the wife becomes the trustee and he's going to be writing to her that, you know, as the trustee, I'm not going to obligate you in an oath. Is that something to think about at the time of marriage? Ask the Gemara. Does she ever know that he's even ever going to ask her to become the trustee over the estate? That she feels the need to say to him, please write to me that you'll never make me take an oath. Maybe later on she'll do that, but why, why would we do this? So Amalai says back to him, that really you taught us about our Mishnah and therefore you have a question. <coughs> but I want to tell you when Rabbi Yehuda said that we're dealing with a case of a, uh, a trustee in Apitropis, he was actually going on a different um, part of the Mishnah, which says, and we'll get there soon, if she's going from her husband's grave back to her father's house. So she's really leaving the husband's side of the family financially. She goes back to her father-in-law's house, so she's remaining with her husband's side of the family. But she never oversaw the estate. She never acted as a trustee. So the Yarshim are not, are not allowed to obligate her in a shvua. However, she did become a trustee. Then the children, the inheritors of the estate, afterwards, or now even, they can make her take an oath that she's going to deal with the, the estate in a proper fashion. But they're not allowed to have her uh, take an oath on, on anything that happened prior to them inheriting the money. You see, until they inherit it, it's the husband's estate. It's his. It's their father's, we'll call it. They can't obligate her to take an oath about what she did when the money wasn't theirs. They can only obligate her to take an oath on what she's done once the money becomes theirs. But if that's the case, says the Gemara, a question, Sha'amar Maya Vidate, if the husband is now going to be writing a document to his wife saying that if I die and you go back to my father's house, your father in law, you go back to my father's house, and the Yarshim don't want to, uh, and the inheritors want you to make a shvua, I'm writing a document saying you don't need to make a shvua. Anyway, she doesn't have to make a shvua. The children can't obligate her to make a shvua on things that happened in, the father, in, in their father's lifetime. So what's the purpose of the document? That's the Gemara's question. So I'm reviewed to Marav. You just says the name of Rav. I'll explain to you. We're dealing with the case of a husband writes to his wife, I am absolving you from an oath on anything that happened while you were a trustee. That's taking place during my lifetime. However, anything that takes place as, you know, uh, between the time of her husband's burial <coughs> and the death itself, so really between the times the husband dies and the actual kvura, any expenses and things like that, where, where uh, it's kind of like this in-between type of stage. So then the children would be, mashbi in law, they would be obligated, uh, they, they would be allowed to obligate her in a shvua. For Masna Omar, for Masna says, no, 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 no. No. What do you mean there's like this in-between stage between burial, between death and burial, even after the death and burial, uh, the, the children cannot obligate her to take uh, make a shua. You know why? I didn't they already inherit it once he dies? No. Because in Arda they said, In order to pay off their taxes 
or in order to feed the girls in the family and to take care of the kvura, take care of the burial. <coughs> Excuse me. The Allah is you sell the property of whatever the husband left behind in order to cover his expenses in these areas. Without a hachraza, without any sort of announcement. Usually, we're going to have to put in the papers that there's land for sale so that, so that we'll get the highest bidder. If let's say you have orphans that somebody inherits land and Bezin's going to be selling it on their behalf, you, can, you, you have to get uh, multiple bids. You're going to make, uh, you're, you're gonna have to make an announcement. So this is not true, however, if you're raising the money for immediate food, for immediate burial. You don't have to make an announcement. And the assumption here is that the same thing would be true with no chiyuv shua. You can't obligate a shua as well on the wife during this time. Okay, why? Svara, the Rashi here and the Farshim here explain, because there's a chiyuv to get to Kvura fast. The last thing that we need her doing, and unfortunately, or fortunately or unfortunately, but you could have situations where you have currently funeral homes and cemeteries that take advantage of families that don't prepare beforehand. Because you have somebody passes away, and then you want to start thinking about it? So they call up a funeral home. The funeral home, they don't even ask. The funeral home could just send a bill for whatever they want. Because, uh, because people are stuck. Since it's, uh, since it's a very uh, busy time, we're not going to obligate her to, uh, to take an oath about anything that happened during that time. Oh, you didn't deal with the finances properly. You didn't get our father the best deal on the burial. You can't do this. Can't do it. You're not allowed to start going back to situations where there was a you know you know a crisis happening and then hold her accountable. Well, are we talking about? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Are we talking about a case where this is the, this is the children's <clears throat> mother? Or are we talking about a case of this is the second wife? It doesn't matter. They're the ones responsible to uh, his estate is the one responsible to pay it off. So whether it's his wife or whether it's uh, whether it's the kid whether it's his wife or whether it's the kid's mother, either way the children are the ones who are going to inherit. Midaraisa. Uh, unless a person writes a living will stating that all the stuff should go over to his wife. But as far as the laws of inheritance are concerned, the even if it's their mother, the sons are the ones who inherit and they're just mukhiyev to use that money to give mezainus to their father's wife. This applies whether she's the mother or whether a second wife. Doesn't matter. So, no, but, but the point, so the only, but this case that we're talking about, yeah. she, only comes, she only comes into the picture if she's appointed as trustee. Either she's appointed as trustee. Yeah, that's right. She's appointed as trustee between his death and the burial. <clears throat> between the death and the burial, and they want to come back to her now and say, hey, while you were a trustee, you, you, you didn't handle the finances properly. You did, uh, our, we could have saved $2,000 on burying our father in a different plot in that cemetery. And we want you to take an oath that you, you did all your due diligence to make sure that... It, you say, I get in tug, see you later. It's okay. It's okay. You're not going to be allowed to obligate her... Um, on a on a shvu in such a circumstance, uh, but, but a case of this nature, I mean, you, there's many cases of similar nature where you have the same problem. I mean, why why are we picking out this particular case? Because we want to give a case where it's possible that the husband wrote that he's going to absolve any sort of oath or swearing on her, and it's still going to be away from the inheritor's rights. Because usually we'd say, if a, if a husband absolves his wife from any sort of uh, oath that takes place while she's a trustee, that's only in his lifetime. So the Gemara had asked a good question. Well, if it's, you know, uh, um, the Gemara says that a apitropis, that's um, a, uh, a trustee that happens in her husband's lifetime, so that's going to exempt her from an oath. But after Misa, she should still be obligated with the, uh, with the children. 
So the Gemara says, no, we're even dealing with a case where, and this is, uh, we're dealing with a case that's in between. And you could absolve her then. And over here, so it comes longer of Masna and says, you should know that anyway I would have known that she's absolved from a Shvua because of this that took place in our day where they established any money spent by a widow on behalf of her husband's needs, even though it wasn't her money at the time, she was just overseeing the estate to make sure that everything's, everything's put in place. We don't create this, uh, this Shvua of Apitropos on her either. That's automatic, no matter what anybody writes to her. Okay. Now we're going to shift a little bit, <clears throat> but we're going to keep dealing with um, scenarios where a husband says to his wife, usually you'd be obligated in an oath, but I'm removing that obligation from you. What are these other situations? Here we go. says, <laughs> If a husband writes, there won't be a neder and there won't be a shua. Listen, listen to those words carefully. There won't be a neder, there won't be a shua. What's Allah then? Who in the The husband cannot put any sort of shua on her. If he dies, his kids could. Why? Because it's not his anymore. When it's his, he could say no shua. When it becomes the kids, they could say that was dad. That's not us. What if he writes, Naki neder, Naki shua. You're clean from a neder, you're clean from a shua. Then, Bein hu, Ubein yorshim, Ein mashbiya Either way, even the kids cannot obligate her an oath. Hachi kamarla, because if he writes, uses the word Naki, clean, what he means is, Menakis, you are completely Nakoi, you are Naki, you are clean, Mishvuasa, from any sort of shua, any sort of swearing. Okay? So he's not doing it only when he's alive. He's saying, on this estate, you never need to take an oath. Fine. Very logical. However, he says like this. No, if he writes to her, there's no oath. Without, uh, you know, there's, there's no nether, there's no shua. The children could. They both could. If he writes naki, not that they both cannot make her take a shua. It's actually they both may still give her a shua. Even him, if he uses naki. Why? Clean yourself, clear the air, give yourself a good name by taking a shua. It's not that you're putter from a shua. It's just that you'll be naki. You'll, you'll, you'll get a clean name only through an oath. Whether he writes um, whether he writes Naki, the Allah is a Naki from a Shua, or whether he writes without a Nadar or Naki of a Nadar, if he writes bin it's my stuff, my property, so he can't, but they could, because not his property anymore. Uh, but if he says you're going to be part of Ramashua ever on these nechosim, on these possessions, so then these possessions apply even to children, and nobody can create a shua on her. Amar Rav Nachman, Amar Shmuel. Rav Nachman says the name of Shmuel. Mishum Abishol ben Ima Miriam. The name of Abishol ben Ima Miriam. Ben, we're calling him after his mother's name. Bain delay shua, bain nakish, whether it's without a shua or clean of a shua, bain delay nether, bain naki nether, whether it's without a nether or clean of a nether, bain nechasa, bain nechasa, whether it's my stuff or these things, bain hua, bain yarshav, ain mashbiyanesa. You cannot create any sort of shua if he uses any one of these expressions. Avoma ese, but even though I hold this dalacha, what could I do? Shahrei Yamrucham, the Chamari said, Habali para benichse yasaimim, lay para elabishua. Anybody who ever wants to take payment from possessions of Yisayimim, they must always make a shua. That is a dinder Now, this dinder is a very broad statement. So that's going to encompass even a widow. Even the wife of their father is going to be included in the achrayis, in the, in the responsibility to always take a vow. So whether a woman's collecting her ksuba, whether it's uh, whether she's uh, setting aside money to take care of the girls, no matter what, there's going to be a chi of shua. This is in the face of 
what he writes. So he writes to her, you're, you're not going to have to take a shoe after I die. You shouldn't. However, there's a rabbinic decree stating if somebody passes away, you always make a shua before collecting. Okay. Vigada. Go ahead. Yeah. So we're saying that in any case, when you are um, a trustee of funds, the people who are the beneficiaries could make you take a sure that you handled it properly. Once it's theirs. What do you mean once it's theirs? Only once they receive ownership of it, once they actually inherit the money, yeah. they have a right to say, we want you to take an oath that any expenditures, any expenditures from one, from one, they, they can't make a trustee take an oath on what happened prior. Once it's theirs, though. Yeah, that's correct. That's a, that's a, Xera de Rabbanon, correct. And, 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 okay, and being as you brought this up, why can't you make the trust, trustees where that you handle the money properly beforehand? Because it's not the children's. Well, yeah, it is. Eventually, it's, it's not theirs now. It's not theirs. Their dad owns it. Their mom owns it. It's not theirs. What's the difference? If, if she if she swindles the money, doesn't matter. Money ahead of time. That's on. That's that's on your parents. So here's the deal. Oh, oh, I hear what you're asking. The answer is like this: the father wrote to the trustee, "I will not obligate you in a in a neder or a shua." So while it's the father owns it, nobody can obligate another Yeshua. That's the only reason why. But you're right. In general, yeah. In general, you could obligate another Yeshua. You could obligate a trustee. What's unique is the father wrote on whether the father writes while I'm alive, whatever. He doesn't matter. We the the halacha would be you have to Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Some say from a brisa, Abishol ben Ima Miriam Amar ben Delay Shua ben Whether he writes without it, um, that it's going to be, you know, I'm giving it over to you without a shvur, you'll be clean from a shvur. Ben by nether, ben Nogi nether. Whether he writes, I'll give it to you without a nether, you'll be clean from a nether. Ben Menachasa ben Menachasa Yelein. Whether he writes, you're going to be, you're not going to swear when it's mine. Or whether he writes, you're not going to swear ever on these possessions. Ben Hu ben Yarshav ein Mashbiyan Isa. The halacha is you cannot you cannot make the trustee. This wife take a vow. But what can I do? A person who goes and collects from the chasm of Yisayim lo yipar al b'shua. Amar of Nachman of Marshmol halacha kiven ima Miriam. The halacha is like Ben ima Miriam. What we just learned. This gezera midrabbana. Period. End of that Gemara. Let's keep going. We have a new Mishnah. We're already familiar. The Gemara quoted this Mishnah. And let's get into it. If you have a woman who's coming to collect a ruined Ksuva. What's a ruined Ksuva? A Ksuva where she's admitting she received partial payment already. She can only take the remaining amount with a Shvua, with an oath. So she's going to say like this. I swear I only received partial payment. I'm here to collect the remainder, then we'll give her the partial payment. What if you have one aid that says that um, the ksuva was paid off? Okay. Ksuva is paid off. Now, it doesn't matter what her claim is. One witness is coming and saying, by the way, her ksuva was paid. It seems completely. She's coming to collect the ksuva, and one witness walks into bed and says, the husband or the state, the husband, whatever it is, paid her off already. What's the halacha? So if she wants the money, because there's a single witness coming against her, she's going to have to take an oath. If let's say she's coming to collect the ksuba from the property of the yisayimim, or she wants to collect the property from fields that were sold, given away, and they have a lien on it to her, and the husband's not here, in these cases as well, she has to take an oath in order to remove the property from these other domains. Okay. Says the Mishnah, 
Ha-Pagemes Ksuvasa Ketzad. What was the case of Pagemes Ksuvasa? We said a woman comes with a ruined Ksuba. What's that case? So the Gemara, the Mishnah explains, she had a Ksuba of a thousand Zuz, and the husband says, I already paid off your Ksuba. She says, no, you only gave me half. She has to swear about the remaining half. What was the case of What was the case where one witness says that it's paid off? What was that? What's that specific circumstance? The Mishnah explains, And the husband says, I already paid off your ksuba. She says, you never paid me anything. And a single witness comes and says she was completely paid off. So in that case as well, she, she uh, only can receive payment if she takes a shua, if she takes an oath. Okay. Another case. Minchasim... Why yeah, go ahead. This, why isn't this just like any other note? Why isn't this a, any other what? Note. Like if you, you have a loan. Yeah. And a person pays off the part of the loan, whatever it is. Yeah. So what do we do? How do you handle it? You, you uh, make it, you... Either give them a new note with a lesser amount. Oh, got you, got you. Great question. Rabiel's asking, why is? Uh, are you asking why is this Mishnah specific to a woman collecting a ksuba? Yeah, it should apply always. Yeah, right. right. Beautiful. It's the, it's the same as any other. Uh, Beautiful. Beautiful. Rashi's bothered by your questions. Let's look in Rashi together. If you look in Rashi, about uh, twelve lines from the bottom of the Yomud. On Pezayin Amad Aleph, it's the last Dibur Hamaschil. It says, Minachosim Mishubadim. Okay? Minachosim Mishubadim. You see that, Rashi? It's the last Dibur Hamaschil on Pezayin Amad Aleph. It says, Rashi, Mishumdi have gabe min halayva gufei bavetotin loiva ishtabali deloi paratich. You hear this? It says, Rashi, like this. This answers your question already. Usually, the lender who wants the money shows up with a document saying this person owes me money and the borrower says, no, I don't. Who's holding on to the document Document usually? The lender is holding on to the document asks, and, and saying this person has the payment. They're, the lender's coming to make the claim. Over here, She's coming with the document. She had she, she's the one holding the uh, the the ksuba, not the husband, right? She's holding the ksuba. Yeah. She's holding the ksuba, and the husband very well may not even be here. That's what Rashi means by ihavegabe. If the husband would be here, we Bezdin's kind of talking for him. And they're going to say, we're going to assume any normal husband, if he would be here, would demand an oath under these circumstances. And therefore, we're demanding an oath from you. That's the Ad And that answers your question, why this is different than a standard case. In a standard case, you have the two litigants in front of you. One's coming to collect, fine, you go ahead. Over here, she's coming. The husband very well might be somewhere else. But his estate is here. We're going to actively, we're going to proactively take on what we expect he would have done on his own. Okay? And Mamela, we're going to say, she cannot take her ksuba unless she makes a shua. Make a shua and then take your ksuba because that's what, a, that, that's what we're expecting your husband would have done too. So that's the, that's the Adich Hiddish. All right. What's the case where she could take with a shua, her ksuba from Nechosim Mishubadim, land that was Mishubim? If let's say the husband sold his nechasim to somebody else, and she wants to collect her ksuba from those who bought it. Why? Because she had a lien on it first. She has to make a shua that she wasn't paid off yet. Also, if she's pulling from nixay yisaymim, she has to make a shua. What's that case? Husband dies, he leaves, he leaves nechasim property to the, his orphans. She's coming to collect from the orphans. She also, in that, in that scenario, has to make a shvua. 
v'shaloi b'fun of Ketzad. What's the case where he's not here? Halachlam dina sayom. He kicked. He uh, he's out of here. He's in China. He's overseas. He ain't showing up to Bezdin right now. V'hi nefrash shaloi b'fun of, and she wants to come and collect her ksuba, and he's nishdu. He's not here. In nefrash shaloi b'shua. That case as well. She could only collect with a shua. Top of Amr Beis. Last case of the Mishnah. Reb Shimon Aimer. Reb Shimon says. Anytime a woman is coming to collect a ksuva, he's giving a general rule. The, the uh, inheritors can obligate a shua, and if she, ne- if she doesn't come to, to uh, collect her ksuva, now this is a big chiddush. What's, what's happening over here? Bez Hashem, we're going to get there uh, tomorrow to understand Reb Shimon's opinion. Very, very bothersome, at least the way it's written. She doesn't come to collect it. They can't place an oath on her. I mean, she's not coming to collect it. Well, what's happening over here? So, Bez Hashem, uh, uh, tomorrow we'll get into, we'll get into that daf. Okay, Gavaldik. So, we had uh, an interesting Mishnah. Good. So, you're bothered, you're bothered by Rav Shimon's opinion stating that, that they're obligating her to Ksuva. If she's holding on to her Ksuva, it must be it wasn't paid. And therefore, they should be obligated to pay her whether and and they should not be allowed to make her take an oath. Absolutely. Okay, it's a good question. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the whole thing because that's tomorrow. But tomorrow the Gemara is going to get into Mirz Hashem um, how there's that there's a lot more happening here financially because sometimes remember we learned earlier in the Masechta a woman is supported by the estate. Until she comes and collects her ksuba, so we're we Gemara is going to get into you know we're, what what cases are Shimon referring to? Is Shimon referring to a case where she's purposefully taking her time to collect her ksuba? This way, the state could support her, and that's why she's not coming to collect her ksuba because she's trying to milk more money about what's happening, and the children aren't happy with that. So there's more, the Gemara is going to give more of a background into Rib Shimon's, uh, Shimon's statement, but suffice it to say that what's bothering you is going to bother the Gemara, and that means we're on the right track. All right, but it's a, good, it's a valid question. Why, what, we have to understand Rib Shimon, why we're, oblig, why we're putting the onus on her when she's the one holding the ksuva, which shows she hasn't been paid. Good, all right, good. Oh, so we'll, let's hold on to the question. Bezim, tomorrow we'll get a, a Gishmaka answer. All right, let's get into the Gemara. Says the Gemara, four lines from the top of Pesai the Mabes. Rabbi thought to say that the Shvua in our Mishnah is a biblical Shvua, right? It's like a Maida Bemiktas, right? You, you, you uh, agree to something partial. He's saying, I paid your Ksuba, and she says, No, you only paid me half. So this oath is a biblical oath. I got two responses to that. Two reasons why I don't like saying that this is a biblical shvuah. First of all, usually when you swear in the Torah, what happens afterwards is there's no money transferred. I swear, you lent me $1,000. I swear I paid back half. Yeah? What happens afterwards? There's no shvuah. Right? He's not... In either case, we're protecting me from paying. I'm not going to be swearing and then a payment is happening. By me swearing, there's no payment happening. All payments are completed. That's first of all. And in our case of the ksuva, she's, by her oath, she's creating a payment. Um, Over here, she's taking a shua and now there's money being transferred to her. And furthermore, Biblically, we don't swear about a kfira, a denial of shibur karkais. Shibur karkais is when there's a, a obligation on the land, where there's a lien on the land. Over here, the woman has a lien on the husband's land, and we're obligating a shua. Biblically, we don't do that. So if there's a shua here in our Mishnah, it's not going to be a biblical obligation. Okay? So we thought these shvuas were biblical. Says Rava, they're not. So what are they? Alama Rava, Midra Bonan. The rabbinic oaths. It's midra bonum. The para dayik, because when somebody is is paying off dayik, they're very careful. They're meduyik from the word diktuk. They're very they're very specific. The mi para, 
And the one who is receiving the money, loy dayek, is not so careful. Meaning like this. If I owe you $1,000, who's making sure, and I want to pay off 500 of it, who's making sure that that is being notarized and noted? I'll tell you who. The one paying. The one being paid, eh. If anything goes wrong, what are we back to? You still owe me $1,000. If it's not done properly, so we're back to our original amount that you owe me. So let's go to the case of Ksuba. The one who's paying, now we're going to consider that to be her. I'm sorry, um, yeah, consider that to be her. Um, is I'm sorry, no, no, the one paying the Ksuba, that's him. The one pay, He's paying her Ksuba. The one paying the Ksuba is more aware, I'm giving you the $500 of your Ksuba, I'm going to make sure that it's paid off. She's not so careful because if, if it's not noted properly, she's back to being able to collect her whole ksuba. And therefore, he has more trustworthiness to know the details in this situation. For Ramu Rabbonon, which by the way, this is in, in life as well, a general good rule to note whenever you're having transactions or agreements it's the one that has the most to gain from this that is, um, is going to be a lot more detail-oriented. And the other person has to make sure not to fall for it, not to come out on the, uh, you know, uh, not to be left in the dark on, a, or on, on things that to, are to their detriment. The Ramu Rabbonah Shu Allah, but the Rabbonah put a Shu on her, in order for her to be careful, in order to raise her up to the level of the husband's knowledge, we place the shvua on her. So it's paid off. Oh, okay. Make a shvua. We want to make sure you know for sure that your claim is correct. You probably that's question searching for information. Let's say she, um, in front of witnesses, she says, I was paid off for half my ksuba. Mahu, what's the halacha? Im isa depara, do we say that if it was paid off in half, pa'idim havi parala, so he should pay her off with the, uh, with the other half. Aidoma isramuya isramile. Or maybe we say, yeah, there were aidim, but there weren't aidim, uh, there weren't aidim afterwards. The Gemara's question is very basic. Let's say there are witnesses that saw him pay off half the ksuba. <clears throat> but there are no witnesses on the other half. Does that mean he actually didn't pay off half? Because we see you're the type of person that uses witnesses. Or do we say no? When witnesses were available, he used them. And when they're not, he didn't. Whatever the swearing in the Torah, everybody holds on to their wallet. In this case, what's happening is, there's money being transferred. What about a case of a sochir? A person who's hired by the day, or a person who was stolen from. See, so you have somebody who wants to demand their hourly wage, or you have somebody who says, somebody stole from me. Or a person who was damaged. A person was damaged by somebody else. Or I have to take an oath because the other person is not trusted with their oath. They've, they're a proven liar with oaths. Or you have a chenveni, a store owner, about a pinkasai. Uh, you know, he, he gave stuff on credit. And now it's written down that this person uh, owes credit to the store. Or a person who's paigim hishtar, he, he agrees that he got part of the payment, like a, like a pagam ksuba, without witnesses. Shalai be'edim in, be'edim lai. If there's, if it was done without witnesses, so then we say he's got to take a shvua. But if there were witnesses, he doesn't need to take a shvua. So you see from over here, when there's Adam, there's no shvua. That's the answer. Stei says, no, our price is a lai mi boy. It's not teaching us a chiddush. It's telling us a case where it's not even needed to tell me. Meaning, lai mi boy, Adam, I don't need to tell you when witnesses saw the payment happen. Vadai tzri chashua. Certainly, she's going to have to take a shvua to, to take the rest. But let's say the payment was made without Adam. I would say like this. 
The husband owed her a thousand dollar ksuba. She's admitting that she received five hundred dollars. There were no witnesses. It's like she's returning a lost object because she didn't have to admit. Nobody would have known anything else. You find a lost object in the street. If you don't return it, no one's going to know anything else. No human's going to know anything else. Over here too, she's admitting to five hundred. Why don't we say just absolve her from Meshua? There were no witnesses. So she's like Meshavida. She's being nice over here by agreeing she received half and don't, don't obligate her in an oath. Let her take it out of Shua. Kamashulan, the Brisa lets us know that she still needs to take a Shua before taking the rest. Okay. Bottom line is, we don't know exactly how to understand the Brisa, and we're left with our question. Let's say the first payment was made to witnesses, the second not. How do we view it? We don't know. All right. Another Shaila, Ibailu, that's the question searching for information. If a woman says, Yes, I received payment of my ksuba, and, um, and she starts giving a whole list of amounts that include both amounts that are valid and amounts that, uh, amounts that are less than ksuba. It's not even considered like a financial, um, something that we deal with in a financial bezdim. Mahu, what is the halacha? What's the shaila here? Do we say that since she's giving us a whole laundry list of all the things she was paid, even down to the last penny and a half? So kushto uh, ka'amra, she's telling the truth by being so careful, and she's got her she's got her stuff in order. Or maybe you know sometimes when things are so perfect, it's a red flag. It's a red flag. You don't have to mark off every two cents that your husband gave you. It's weird. It's strange. Okay? So Gemara says, Teku. Teku. We're unsure. I'll tell you, just, uh, this is a little bit of a different topic, but my, my brain went here with this. There was a, uh, a family where we suspected this stuff going on with the kids and whatever it was, a little bit of neglect. A little bit of neglect happening at home, and we want to make sure the children were taken care of. So I spoke to uh, I spoke to the mother. I spoke to the mother, and I was trying to understand. The, the school had reached out to me. The kids aren't coming with lunches or snacks. And they're not being bathed, and and um, I mentioned to the mother, like you know, what is what does the child do after school every day? Well, you know, you know, do you need help in the house? Can we send somebody in. What does your child do? The list that she gave me about things that she does with her child, I knew she wasn't telling the truth. I knew she wasn't telling the truth. There's no chance. No normal mother does this. No normal mother does this. Oh, on on Sundays, when there's no school, we go together to the city museum. Monday after school, we go to the magic house. Tuesday, we go to the park. There's a family with a whole bunch of kids. You're not hanging out with your kid and taking them on trips every day after school. I didn't say this, but it's a media red flag. It's too, you're so, per, you're, Azai, you, you, you have your life so much in order. You got a whole bunch of kids. You take every day, it's another field trip with the Gansa Mishbucha. Tell it to the Marines, right? So we do, we see, you got a whole thing. Teku says, listen, Lamaisa, you, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe no. Maybe this, this person is a super, uh, you know, but you're busy going to the city museum. Your kids got lice in their hair and they haven't been bathed in two weeks. Doesn't make much sense to me. But uh, it's the Gemara. <laughs> Lamaisa, the Gemara ends off Teku. And sometimes when things look too perfect they, uh, to be true, it's usually, uh, it's usually too perfect to be true. Ibaidu, that's the question of information. Mahu, this is a fascinating case. What happens if the woman says, you know what? I wasn't paid, but she's actually asking for a lesser amount than the husband says was obligated in the ksuba. So the ksuba was a thousand zuz, right? That's what it says. And um, she says, you know, it was really a hundred zuz. She just says, I wasn't paid, but she's demanding less money. Do we say it's the same as like a partial payment? Do we say, by a partial payment, she admitted to receiving half. Here's not admitting to receiving half. She's saying, I just not owed as much. What do you do then? 
Toshma, come and listen. Paycheses tipara shalei b'shvua. If a person is paycheses tipara shalei b'shvua, she does not. Uh, she doesn't take a shvua. Ketzad, what's the case? Haisik suvah said, "Love zuzav was a thousand zuzav nixuvah v'amar lo." And the husband says, "Is kabal tuvah sech? I I I paid you." No, you didn't. First of all, you didn't pay me. Second of all, chill. It wasn't a thousand, it was a hundred. She could take that. It's not considered like a maid of a She could take payment without a ksuba. So you have a proof. It's not considered like a maid of a when she just lowers the value of the ksuba. Says the Gemara, Why are we giving her the hundred? Because of the Ksuba? What did it say in the Ksuba? A thousand. She's arguing on the document. Why giving her a hundred? There's a piece of it's a piece of broken glass, piece of broken earthenware. That's what it literally means. It's chaspabalma. It's nothing. He the, the ksuba says a thousand. She's coming along. No, no, no. You only owe me a hundred. So what's this is not your ksuba? Why are you paying her anything? Are you paying her anything? It's like the Misa with this guy who comes, uh, goes to the fair. Misa Shahaya, I forget which Gadol it was. Goes to the fair in Leipzig, I think it was, the famous fair in Leipzig. And uh, he finds a wallet and um, uh, a non Jew walked around claiming that they lost a wallet. Call it 2,000 rubles. All good stories in Leipzig were rubles. Yeah? So it, it, I left 2,000 rubles in my wallet. The Yid returned the wallet with 1,000 rubles. And he says that's all that was in there. And the guy takes the Yid to court. The Yid who returned his wallet, he takes the court saying he's stealing 1,000 rubles. There were 2,000, he's only returning 1,000. So he takes him, to, takes him to court. So this Yid's flipping out. He doesn't know what to do. So he goes to the Rav. And the Rav says, I'll come to court with you. I'll handle it with you. And they go, and they go, and the Rav and the judge, who's a local judge, they were a little familiar with each other, and the judge turns to the Yid, he says, uh, you know, this fellow says there was 2,000, prove that you didn't steal 1,000. Prove it. And the Rav looks at the judge and he says, I know this Yid, I know this fellow, he's an honest guy, and I know the Gentile. He's also an honest guy. And therefore there's only one thing that can possibly be. And that is, it's the wrong wallet. Give the thousand in the wallet back to the Yid. You hear this? You hear this? That's the Chab. That's the Chab. So that's the Gemara saying over here. That's the Gemara saying over here. It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Says the Gemara, she's claiming a hundred. He says, I paid you a thousand. She's like, no, no, only pay. Well, you're paying her a hundred? Who was this? It must not be yours, <laughs> right? And She says, we had a side, we had an amana. Yeah, it's similar to like a handshake. We had an agreement between the two of us. So then uh, we're going to give her the hundred. Uh, and that's what she's going to collect. Okay. And eight testified that the ksuba was paid off. So then she needs to make a shvua against the eight achar. So for Rabbi Baruch the member shvua the rice Rabbi Baruch said this is a biblical shvua. The chesiv says in the Torah leyakum eight achar beish lechol avin lechol chatos. A single witness cannot obligate any oven or any chatos. The chol avin lechol chatos who the inekam only by oven and chatos we don't accept a single witness. We're not going to obligate a payment. We're not going to obligate a sacrifice. However, an oath. We will obligate with an Eid Echad. So an Eid Echad, if she wants to argue an Eid Echad, there is an oath. Anytime you have two witnesses who obligate money, if there's one witness that comes, here as well, right? Um, if you have two witnesses saying she's paid off, she'll get nothing. But since she's saying that there was one witness, so she's going to have to pay, she's going to have to take an oath, and it's going to be a biblical oath. That's the approach. That's the raya that the Yeshua that we're dealing with. That's a Rami Bar Chama's proof. The, the oath is going to be a biblical Yeshua. Omar Rava. Rava says, no, 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 no. Stay true with Badabra. I got two things to tell you why you're wrong. First of all, same thing we said before. Anytime you make an oath, it keeps everything status quo. 
Over here, the oath is going to create a further payment. And therefore, it can't be a biblical oath. She's taking, and it can't be biblical. And furthermore, same thing we said before. Rather, Rav says, the oath here that we're dealing with in the Mishnah is, is Midra Bonon. Ay, why would the Rabbanon place an oath? Why the place an oath? In order to calm down the mind of the Baal. The husband says, I don't owe you. She says, Yaha. There is an aide saying, You don't. The husband saying, I have a witness backing me up. Who are you to argue? So we say to her, take an oath. A woman with a shvua is against the husband's estate with an eidachar. It kind of it's, it's kind of there to uh, to counterbalance. Okay, but now is she winning? Yeah, we're going to listen to her. The husband with his eidachar claiming that there was a payment is she's really going to receive payment by taking an oath that she never received it. So who's at the who has the advantage right now? She does. She has the advantage, her, her and her oath. Let's do one more step. We'll get on to tomorrow's daf to clarify this. Amar of Papa, Rav Papa says because of this, ready? If the husband would be smart, keen, he could obligate her in a shvua which people are more hesitant to do. How? Here's what he should do. Give her some sort of payment in front of a single aid. And then he'll have his one aid that saying that he paid her together with another witness of, of uh, this payment. And now she's going, if she wants to say, I never received payment, there's going to be two Adam against her. And then, I, but you just paid her again. You just paid her. So what is he gaining? She won. She got her money now. Again. No, no, no. Because then what he could do is say, the original money was only there as a loan. The second payment is going to be your ksuva. And the first one, you still owe me. Now, what's the obvious question on that? We're going to try to see how he could turn the payment into a loan. But also, two witnesses at two different times, could they combine? Bashan will pick it up from here. We'll clarify how this trick will work out, uh, will work out to his advantage. We'll hold it here for tonight. Have a good tavach, a wonderful, wonderful evening, everybody. Have a wonderful week.